everybody. Would you stand with us this morning? How is everybody? Good. Let's get ready to worship together. We're in the house of the Lord.
death and claimed its victory. The king of love had given up his life. The darkest day in history. There on the cross they made for sinners. For every curse is blood Final breath and it was finished Not the end we could have known For the earth began to shake And the veil was turned What sacrifice was made As the heavens rose
for a minute. We have the awesome, awesome privilege of being included in a baptism this morning. We get to watch a special girl be baptized this morning. I'm Trisha Fish, I'm 15 years old, and I've been going to North Point since Easter. I was either six or seven years old, and me and my mom were at the dining room table, and she was telling me about Jesus and how he died for our sins, and how you can accept Christ into your life. And I was like, oh, I want to do that. And so right then and there, in our dining room, she prayed for me, and then that is when I gave my life to Christ. And I also remember, it was like a few weeks later, we were all at the dining room table, and I have a big family. I'm the youngest of seven. So <laughs> we were all at the dining room table, and either my mom or dad, I don't remember who, was like, commented on how happy or how joyful I had been lately. And then my mom was like, oh yeah, that's right. Trisha has been saved. I danced for a Christ-centered studio, Patsy Watson School of Dance and I love dancing. When I'm on stage, or when I'm about to go on stage, I just, I, that's when I like, I just, I feel God, like the most, especially when I'm dancing, because I just, I wanna, through my dancing, I wanna show people the love of God, and I want people to feel something. One of the last times I performed, um, I just asked him to fill me with peace, because I often get nervous when I'm about to go on stage, I remember when I got on stage, I felt so calm. I felt so calm, and I was just dancing. I was dancing for an audience of one. I kind of just felt a prompting to be baptized. I don't really know how it came about. I just remember I was talking to my mom in the car, and I was like, we weren't at, at a church at that time, and I talked to her, I was like, I wanna um, join a church because I really wanna be baptized. And then. A few months later, we moved to DeWitt, and then my friend Anna was like, you wanna go to church with me? I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> and so I went to church with her on Easter, and then weeks and weeks later, it was in the service, you guys started talking about baptism. And then I was like, I wanna be baptized. I was constantly hearing about baptism, like just constantly hearing about it, and you guys mentioned it in your sermons, or I hear about it there and there, I was like, Okay, I hear you, Lord, I hear you. <laughs> hey, this is my friend Trish. Um, I, just, uh, just a couple of fun things before, before she's baptized. Uh, last Sunday, she came up to me after the service and said, I wanna, I wanna talk to you, I wanna be baptized. And, um, and I said, yeah, let's talk. And uh, she said, we have, on the website, have a teaching video about baptism. She said, I watched the video, God's been prompting me, I'm ready to do it as soon as possible, just ready as soon as, as, soon as possible. So okay, so we'll do it this Sunday. Um, just excited about that. It, um, this, this fits so well in the context of our study of Colossians because we've talked about in Colossians, the old person dying and a new person coming to life, putting the new clothes on that we talked about last week. And, uh, and, and so Trish, I, I just want you to, to, uh, to declare your faith in Jesus. You, you told your story, but uh, if you would for everybody, just repeat after me, I believe. I believe. That Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. The Son of God. The Son of God. And he's my Lord and Savior. And he is my Lord and Savior. 
Uh, Trish, because of that confession, you're being baptized, and uh, God's going to do just great stuff in your life. So here we go. Um, because of your confession, you're being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. pray together. Um, God, we thank you so much um, that you know us so well and know what we need. God, I I thank you for um, times like this that we can just live out your word in such cool ways. We thank you for Trish and thank you for her life and for her desire, her heart for you. God, we ask that you would bless her and that you would use her in incredible ways in your kingdom, that you would use her to touch hundreds and thousands of lives for Jesus. Um, Protect her, God, watch over her. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, let's stand together and celebrate that.
get a whoop whoop? Yeah, there we go. Hey, we are so glad that you're here. Uh, uh, that just was really cool. Cool to worship, cool to celebrate in Trisha's baptism. Um, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Amen. Good, good stuff. Hey, uh, we're glad that you're here, and we would love to know that you're here as well. So a couple of things. If you're, if you're new and have never let us know that you're here, like we don't have your info and you're trying to kind of lurk in the shadows, today's the day, all right? We would love to have you let us know that you're here. Here's the easiest way to do it. Send a text to 833-CHAT-NCC, 833-242-8622 with the keyword guest, and we'll send you a link. And you can just uh, let us know that you're here. We would love to send you a gift uh, and just say thanks for coming. That would be great. If you're a, a regular around North Point, if you would open up the North Point app and go to the Let's Connect tab and do that, um, everyone is just looking at me blankly. You have just been given instructions. If you would do that right now, that would be great. Uh, and if you're relatively new uh, as well, we would love to have you come Next Sunday, following this service to what we call Second Sunday, on the second Sunday of each month, we get the staff together and just in five, six minutes, whatever, just introduce the staff to new people. It's a chance for us to get to know you um, and, and to have a sense of what God's doing in, in a cool way. So it's just big picture stuff, um, not in depth at all, but just a chance to get to meet some folks. Uh, that's next Sunday after the following this service, and we would love to have you be a part of that. We, our, our mission at North Point is to help all people move towards a life fully devoted to Jesus, to help everybody take steps towards Jesus. That includes young people, old people, all kinds of people, all people, right? Um, we've got a thing going this Friday night for kids in f going into fourth and fifth grade, our, what we call our merge group. It's a great opportunity to help them connect with each other, to help them get kind of ready before this new school year. And so if you've got kids in that age, if you know kids in that age, um, invite them to come be a part of stuff uh, that for their water night. You know, what's better th for a fourth or fifth grader than playing in water, right? Good, good stuff. Hopefully that you can be a part of that. We, every week, offer an opportunity for people to give, to give financially to, to God's kingdom. And, and I would just encourage you to do that. Um, not because we need the money, although we do, uh, uh, but uh, because God, um, God deals with us as, particularly as, as we think about our possessions and what we have and what we think is ours. And so giving back to him, giving generously back to him is, a, is just a really good thing for us. And so I, I invite you to do that right now. If you came ready to give cash or check, there's some containers back by the doors when you leave that you can put those in. If you'd like to give electronically, you can send a uh, uh, text to that same number, 833-CHAT-NCC, uh, with the word give, and uh, we'll send you a link, and you can give electronically and uh, make that quick and easy as well. Uh, that's uh, just a, a good thing to do in terms of our worship every Sunday. I'm excited. Uh, Andy Acker has been a resident as a part of the staff for the last two years at North Point, working in our student ministry area. Um, he is, uh, he's, he's worked hard with, with uh, middle school on up through high school, and on August 1st, he moved into a full-time role as our uh, student minister. And so we're jazzed about that. Andy's going to break, break out the word for us today. So would you please welcome Andy, and uh, he'll, we'll dive into our study in Colossians. Give it up for Andy. 
whether you're joining us here in person or online, we're so glad that you're able to be here to worship with us today. I wanna start out with a story. It was uh, May 10th of 2009. To you, this day might not matter at all, but to me, this was a big day in my life. It was Mother's Day, and my brother and I decided we were gonna get an ice cream cake from Dairy Queen, and we were gonna decorate it and give it to our mom for Mother's Day. So that's what we did. We had a great Mother's Day celebration, but then later that evening, my dad realized that something was off. After that, after, uh, that evening a celebration, my dad realized that I was just more tired, more lethargic than normal. He realized that I was drinking more water than normal. I, and because of that, I was using the bathroom more than normal, and I was having a hard time sleeping through the night. So after that point, the next day, he brought me one of those portable glucose monitors and said, hey, we're gonna check your blood sugar here. And in that moment, I checked my blood sugar. It ended up being high. So my dad said, hey, tomorrow, we're gonna have to take you to the doctor. We're gonna have to get you some blood tests, and we're gonna have to figure out what's going on. So the next day, uh, Tuesday morning, I got to skip the first couple hours of fifth grade. Super exciting for a kid to miss a couple hours of school but I had to go get my blood, so that blood taken, so that wasn't too fun. And after I got my blood taken, I went back to school, and about halfway through the school day, just before lunch, I got called down to the office. There, standing in the office, were my parents. And at that point, they informed me that I had been diagnosed with type one diabetes. And in that moment, I just felt this pit of darkness filling in me. I didn't know what that meant at the time, but I realized that my life was about to change. And maybe you've had a similar situation to that where you had a diagnosis of some sort and just those few words changed your whole life. Maybe it wasn't a medical diagnosis, maybe it was a passing of a loved one, a family member, a close friend, or maybe it's something completely different, but you had a moment where someone shared something with you and it changed your whole life life in just a moment. Here's the truth, is that words are powerful. They have the moment to change your whole life in just a moment. Over the past couple of months, we've been looking through this book of Colossians, and we've been uh, talking over the past couple of weeks specifically about rules for holy living. We've talked about how we need to set our minds on things above, things that come from the Spirit. We've talked about how as Christians, we've died in Christ. So we have to get rid of things like sexual immorality, lust, anger, slander, rage, putting each, other's down, each other down. And instead, we have to put on new things. As God's chosen people, we're called to put on compassion and forgiveness and humility and gentleness and patience and thankfulness. And most importantly from that list was love. It all sounds like so much work. That's a lot of change to have in our lives. But we do this, we make these changes because we're trusting that God has a greater plan for our life. He has a greater plan than anything that this world has to offer for us. So today, I wanna continue on talking about this idea of holy living. We're gonna continue on into our dive into Colossians 3 together. So if you got a Bible, go ahead, pull that out, turn there. If you got the North Point app, pull out the sermon notes. It'll be on the slides. 
uh, on the TV or the projector behind me. And if at any point today you guys got a question, scroll down to the bottom of the sermon notes. There's a little button there that says submit a question, and we'd love to answer those questions on our podcast that comes out on Tuesday morning. So with that, let's dive into Colossians 3. We're going to start in verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing uh, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks to God, the Father, through him. Let's break this down. Let the word dwell in you richly. What's this idea of dwelling? The idea of dwelling is to live in a specific state, to take a physical residence in a spot. It's this idea of rooting in, being rooted in something. And while I was working through this, someone asked me, do you dwell in scripture or does scripture dwell in you? I think that was a really important question because for me, I was under the delusion that we were supposed to dwell in scripture, but that's not what the verse says. It says, in whatever you do, uh, it says to have scripture dwell in you. And here's the difference. Uh, I'm gonna use the example of where you grew up. For most of us, I think that's Michigan, um, but uh, if not, that's okay. Um, this idea of where you dwell, I grew up in Michigan. Anyone else grew up in Michigan? That would have been a better way to do this. Yeah, a lot of you grew up in Michigan. So there's this thing that we say that people argue over, the, uh, word choices, this idea of soda or pop. Anyone ever hear this argument? There's things uh, about whether you call them lightning bugs or fireflies. <laughs> Apparently that's a big one around the world. It's uh, whether you call it a trash can or a garbage can. I didn't know that these were things that people debated about. <laughs> but where you're rooted sets the tone for what you call these things. Because I grew up in Michigan, I call certain words certain words. And because other people grew up other places, they call other things certain words than I would. Your roots, where you're rooted changes you. If I were to move to California or Florida, the words that I use, I won't change because that's what's known to me. I'm not gonna start calling uh, pop soda because I move south. That's not something that's gonna happen. But when we're rooted in Michigan, here's the difference. When we're rooted in Michigan, we spend our time here. We spend our money here. We use our resources here. So we go off to work at a company and we're making that company better because we are investing in that company. We go out to restaurants and stores and markets and we spend our money there and we're helping other people live better lives because we're giving our money there. We're investing into the community. We're dwelling here in the community. Here's how it works in scripture. When we're investing in scripture, when we're rooted in scripture, we're reading the Bible, we're studying, we're praying, we're trying to learn how to live our lives. But when scripture is rooted in us, that's where things start to change. We don't have to start thinking about what to do right, it just naturally comes out of us because it's dwelling within us. 
when Peter was sharing one of his letters, uh, in one of his letters about suffering with Christ, he made this statement. 1 Peter 3, 15. But in your hearts, revere, show respect, or admire Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who speaks to you. Give a reason for your hope that you have. Do this with gentleness and respect. If someone were to ask you today where your hope is found, would you be able to do that in a generous, gentle, respectful way, in a way that's rooted in scripture? Can you share that truth that your hope comes from being in a relationship with Jesus, a trusting relationship with Jesus? How cool would it be if we could always answer that question specifically? Jesus then shares with his disciples what defiles a person. Matthew 15, do you not see that whatever goes into your mouth passes through the stomach and is expelled? But what comes from the mouth proceeds in the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Our heart is where things start to prosper. Out of that list, sexual immorality, slander, evil thoughts, those are things that Paul listed just a few verses earlier in chapter three of things that we have to rid ourselves of, that we have to let go. This is why in Proverbs, it says, above all else, guard your hearts for everything you do flows from it. When we let scripture dwell in us, it changes the heart. When we guard our hearts and fill it with scripture, we're transformed by those truths. Because what we're doing, the things that we're saying are honoring to God. When we have the word in us, everything changes. We see the importance of the word dwelling in us, why that's important, but what are some examples of this? Now, before I continue, I just wanna preface this and say this is two things that I'm gonna give you. It's not the only two things, this is just two things. So don't mark these off as a check and that's it. The first one is to teach and admonish one another with wisdom. I think we all have a good understanding of what the word teaching is. It's when you learn something new. But admonishing, that's not a word that we use too often. The word admonish means to warn or reprimand someone firmly. It's calling someone out for something that they did wrong. So maybe uh, for those of you who work in a business and your boss says, hey, you didn't reach this deadline properly. You're, you're showing up to, to late, uh, work late too many times. Um, but you're not like, this is like getting written up for these things. That would be an admonishment. It's being reprimanded for something that you did wrong. For those of you who are like in student age, uh, when you get called out by your teacher for not turning in your homework, and they say next time you turn your homework in late, you're gonna get a detention, or you miss an assignment, you're gonna get a detention, that's being reprimanded for something that you're doing wrong. You're not in trouble, per se, but you're about to be. Back when I started here at North Point, I absolutely hated public speaking. I could think of like a bajillion things that I would rather do before I would stand up on a stage and talk to people. And a part of this is our awesome associate minister, Jake Howard, um, helped me become a better speaker. He had me record my speakings, 
which is even worse to go back and rewatch your speakings. But he had me rewatch my speakings, and then we would take notes and we would compare notes and say, hey, your pace was way too fast here. You need to slow that down next time. Or you chose words not, that weren't as powerful here that you could have. And in this process, by walking through and learning these things, I became a better speaker. I was able to communicate so much better. And I, I hated it. It was horrible in the moment. But I thank Jake so much for that time this idea of scripture being a teaching tool to help learn and grow was really important to Paul. He wrote something very similar to uh, Timothy, one of the guys that he mentored. He wrote, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproofing, for correcting, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, complete equipped for every good work. Scripture is so important to teaching and learning to become more and more like Christ. But how do we do this in wisdom? I think we can all agree that we've seen people teach or correct people not out of wisdom. I would encourage you to look back at Jesus' examples, how Jesus corrected and uh, rebuked people for things that they were doing wrong. One of the best stories for this, I think, comes out of John 4, where Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well. He introduces this idea of living with God, introduces this idea of living water, and he says, uh, go tell your husband about this. And she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right, and calls her out for being with four different husbands, and the person that she's now with isn't her husband, but still meets her at a place of respect that pulls her in, introduces her to the Messiah, and changes her life. We can learn from Jesus in a bunch of different ways because of that. Um, in a couple of weeks, we're going to dive deeper into this. But later in Colossians, um, Paul's going to conclude the letter. And in his conclusion, he'll say, let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. When we think of salty, we think of this idea of being bitter or angry towards someone. But that's not what Paul's getting at here. What Paul's getting at is this idea for salty would be uh, being witty, being clever, like season your argument, make it engaging for the people who are listening. But in that, let it be surrounded in grace. When we're able to teach and admonish one another with scripture, everything changes. We don't have to look too far where we can see examples of people who haven't taught with wisdom and with grace and with respect for other people. When we do that, it can cause so much hurt, both as a personal level between you or me and that person that we're trying to teach, but it can also create a separation in the body of Christ where if we don't approach it in a way, that person could leave their faith because of that teaching. The other example that Paul gives is to let scripture dwell in us through the singing and hymns and psalms that we sing. I don't know about you, but those all sound very familiar or very close to one another. And while many people and denominations debate on the difference of these words, to argue about it, I would think we'd be missing the point of what Paul's trying to get at. We miss the importance of singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs as a body of believers. 
a couple years ago, I had the privilege of going to Morocco. Morocco is a country in Northern Africa, and there about 98% of the country is Muslim. They practice Islam. So a lot of the cultural rules there are shaped around Islam. You can't uh, distribute religious material unless it is Muslim literature. You can't shake someone's faith in uh, Muslim, in Islam, or it could carry jail time or fines. And I remember the first Sunday that we were there, there was an international church that we went to. The international church that we went to had armed guards outside of the church to keep native Moroccan people out of the church. That's the culture that we were in. Everything seemed to be against Christianity in this country. We heard the Islamic call to prayer five times a day, every day for 20 days. And it was really draining to be around. Everywhere you looked, uh, you could see the towers of mosques everywhere. And because there were so few churches, the second Sunday that we were there, there wasn't a church around. So we decided that we were gonna have a church in our hotel rooms. Our class of 24 people was gonna come together and we were gonna worship God in this hotel room. And I remember sitting in this hotel room, singing songs, sharing scripture with each other, and being terrified. I was scared that the police were gonna come in, the army was gonna come in, I don't know, and like disturb our worship service because someone outside heard about this. And while we were singing and praying and reading scripture, this uh, passage from Acts came to mind, the passage where Paul and Silas were in prison for sharing their faith and causing a commotion. And when they were in prison, they were singing, they were praying. And all of a sudden, an earthquake came, shook the foundation, and knocked the doors of the prison open. And when the guard came and they found out that the doors were open, they figured the prisoners were escaped and he was about to kill himself that way because it would have been better for him to die that way than for him to go to his officials and let them know. But Paul says, no, we're all here. And because of that encounter, that series of events, that man, that guard, came to know Christ, and so did the rest of his family. Here's the truth, that worship is important on an individual level, but it's also important on a communal level. If it wasn't for Paul and Silas living out their faith in prison, singing songs and praying, who knows what would have happened? Who knows if that guard and his whole family would have ever come to Christ? If it wasn't for our group coming together in Morocco to sing songs and praise God in a spiritually dark place in many of our lives, who knows what the rest of that trip would look like. I'm sure I would be here. I don't think I would have died or anything, but uh, the hope and joy that it brought worshiping together was so beneficial. Scripture's full of songs that were sung. There's a whole book, the uh, book of Psalms, that were spiritual songs mostly written by King David. Some of them are like happy praising songs and some of them are sad songs that are praising God even in the darkest places. Revelation, has anyone heard the song Revelation song? That's rooted out of Revelation 4, 8 where uh, the angels are singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. When our songs are rooted in the truths of scripture, 
They have the power to teach and help us memorize those things. How many of you are young parents? Anyone know the song uh, or the show Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood? There's a, a, sh a song in there that teaches kids how to act when they're angry. It says, when you feel so mad that you wanna roar, take a deep breath and count to four. Then it gives a bunch of examples of how uh, situations where kids might get mad and then it has them take a deep breath. And then just count to four. One, two, three, four. Maybe for some of you, you remember uh, Schoolhouse Rock? The, the song Conjunction, Junction. Conjunction, Junction, what's your function? Hooking up words, phrases, and clauses. These songs are there to help teach people. In this case, to help kids learn to calm down when they're angry or to help students understand how to use conjunction junctions. A couple of months ago, I pulled out my old iPod Touch and I got it probably 11 years ago. Haven't listened to most of the songs on it in probably eight or nine years now. And the moment I turned it on and hit play on those songs, all the rhythms and all the lyrics came back to me. Songs that I haven't heard in eight or nine years. Songs have the wonderful power and sometimes a curse to let us never forget songs. When it comes to the hymns and the psalms and the spiritual songs we sing, when they're rooted, they have that same power. They have that same power to help us teach, to help us learn, to help us grow. When the word is in us, everything changes. Moving on to verse 17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do in the name of Jesus. Culturally, when we hear the word name, we think of what we would call someone. Hi, my name's Andy, by the way, not sure if we met. But in Hebrew, the name, the word name was often tied to in the name of which expresses the very nature of the personality that that name is expressing. In this case, it's Jesus. Paul's calling the Colossians and us to do everything in the things that we do and the things that we say in the name of Jesus, being fully conscious of who Jesus is whenever we do anything. And let's be honest, this can be really, really difficult. Especially when we're caught in the moment of deciding what to do. But here's something we can do. We can run what we're about to do and what we're about to say through this question. Is the thing that I'm about to do, is the thing I'm about to say, will that pass the test of Jesus' presence and his approval? Here's an example. If I were to have Jesus sitting next to me in a group setting and we're playing truth or dare, and someone dares me to do something stupid, is Jesus gonna like sit there and be like, yeah, that's a great idea? Or is he gonna look at me and be like, you idiot, why would you ever do that? Or let's say Jesus is in your group chat with your friends, and you're about to text something, and you're like, shoot, Jesus is in this group chat? What's he gonna think if I say this? in everything that you do or say. Maybe some of you have heard this phrase, WWJD, what would Jesus do? It's the same idea. 
It's the same idea of running everything you do through this lens of who Jesus is and your actions. First Peter 2 says, for as a believer, you have been called for this purpose. Since Christ has suffered for you, living, leaving you an example so that you may follow in his footsteps. Christ is our example. He's displayed through scripture so we know how to live. When the scripture is in us, everything changes. Here's the question. Is Jesus reflected in everything that you do? Is Jesus reflected when you go out to a restaurant and your order's wrong in your response with that server? Is Jesus reflected when your manager or boss asks you to cover an extra shift or take on an extra project at work? In your response, is he honored in that moment? Is he honored when, parents, you're disciplining your kids or kids when you're talking to your parents? Is Jesus represented in those moments? Is Jesus represented when you're driving down the road and the new words that your kids might learn after that experience? Is Jesus represented in that moment? Is Jesus represented when you're by yourself all alone? You see, the question's not, is Jesus represented when I'm here at church? Is Jesus represented when I'm around my Christian friends or my life group? That's not what we're trying to say. Is Jesus represented in everything that you do? I'd be lying if I said that I had this down perfect. I don't think anyone could ever have this down perfectly. But everything that I do and everything I say, I try to filter through this idea. Is Jesus represented in the thing that I'm about to do, this thing that I'm about to say? And those moments that I get it wrong, I don't just brush it off and say, whatever. Instead, I take those things, what I said or what I did, I run it back through. What, why wasn't this represented by what Jesus would have said or what Jesus would have done? I ask questions about how can I be better next time when a similar situation comes up? Is Jesus represented in everything that you do? When the word is in you, everything changes. Um, I don't wanna skip over this, but in both verses 16 and 17, this idea of thankfulness and gratitude is mentioned. This idea that um, Paul talks about in a majority of his New Testament letters. He often opens his letters by saying, I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for the church. And then normally in the closing, he encourages those people to be thankful. In 1 Thessalonians uh, 5, he says, give thanks in all circumstances, for it is the will of God in Christ in you. Thankfulness can be seen everywhere in scripture. I'm so thankful for scripture itself that without it, I would be a total wreck. I'd be a total loss. I wouldn't know how to live my life. I'm thankful when people use scripture to help me become a better person in Christ, even when it's painful. I'm so thankful that here we're able to worship and we're able to sing and praise and have baptisms freely, openly. We're in Morocco, the Christian church can't do that. 
in all things that we do, in all things that we say, they should be done out of thankfulness for God and who he is. When the word is in you, everything changes. For some of you, you've experienced this. You've had God dwelling in your heart. It doesn't mean you're always gonna get it right, but you have that presence. And for others of you, you might not. I understand that it can be difficult, but here is a couple pieces of advice I can give you. First, sorry, my iPad died. First, don't give up. It can be difficult to get started. I know a lot of people when they first start reading through scripture, they would say, I'm gonna start in Genesis and I'm gonna read all the way through and when they skip a day, it gets more hard. They feel like they failed. I'd encourage you to get rid of this thinking. Instead of thinking of trying to read through the Bible every single day, focus on the quality instead of the quantity. Focus on what you're getting out of scripture rather than how much time you're spending in scripture. For some of you, this can be really hard, so I'd encourage you to do a couple things. Just first, establish a time and a place. Create a habit around it. Minimize the distractions. Maybe it's leaving your phone in a different room. I love having my phone. I love having the Bible on the phone, my phone, but the moment I get a notification, everything's gone. Pick up a paper Bible. It's so much easier to be focused in that moment. Surround your time with prayer. Pray for God to work through this time, to point things out. Spend time meditating on just a short passage, not a whole section. Maybe take a journal, write what God's putting on your heart in this moment, what you can take away. Work on memorizing that verse. Know that scripture within you so well that you can just recite it. Because when that happens, you're able to start living it out. And then finally, start with Jesus. Like I said, a lot of people start in Genesis, try to leave, read all the way to Revelation, and by the time they get to Leviticus, or maybe even just the end of Genesis, they're done. The Gospels are so engaging. You get to see who Jesus is and Jesus' character in these moments. I encourage you, start with Jesus. Dwell in God's word because when the word is in us, everything changes. How would your life change if the word was dwelling in you? How would it change you personally? How would it change you as an employee in your workplace? How would it change the church here? How would it change the community? And it doesn't have to stop there. What would it look like if everyone who called Jesus Lord, everyone who owns their faith, lived this out? How would the world look incredibly different? Because when the word is in you, everything changes. Let's pray. God, I wanna thank you for this opportunity to share, to grow together. I wanna thank you for your word that it's a guide for us, that when we read it, when we listen, everything can change in our life. 
God, my hope is, is that we take the time not to focus on how much we read, but we can dive deeper and deeper and deeper into the word. Let's not be discouraged by the moments that we fail, where we mess up. But instead, let us be encouraged. Let us accept those teachings into our life and let other people speak into our life, into our faith, where we can start growing to know you better. That way we can show the world how Christians can be different. In your name we pray, amen. Fail me. 